What's up, everyone? Welcome to Season 1 of Sports Economy, a podcast that focuses on following the money while highlighting the journeys of those who are making a great impact in sports, business, and philanthropy. I'm your host, Chris Kane. Let's get it going with our guest today, Tommy Short. What's up, Tommy? What's up, Chris? How are you? Doing great. Living the dream, you know? How about you? I'm doing great. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Thanks for for coming on. So uh, let's Let's take a second, introduce yourself to the you know listeners and tell us a bit about you know your background. Yeah, so spent the last uh, 15 plus years officiating basketball, the last 10 at the Division One level, uh, international doing FIBA, working with our Olympic team uh, in 2012 and 2016. Uh, fast forward, started a family and decided to actually come off the court. Um, I guess last year would have been the first year I didn't work. Um, and then just here in the recent uh, past, decided to venture out on my own and bring everything that I learned and developed on the court and now bring that to sales teams, executives, and other referees um, in the world of mental performance. So that's where we are today. That's amazing. So let's, you know, let's take a second and dissect that journey a little bit. Um, and, you know, then we have some more, you know, specific questions around some things. So let's start with, you know, the earliest. What made you want to get into you know, being a ref on the basketball court. Yeah. So in sixth grade, um, I, I had a hot temper, uh, proud to say I led the league, um, and sixth grade, what are you 12 years old, 13 with the most yep. technicals. Right. And, but I always appreciated, uh, the referees at that time, Chris, that took time to, uh, talk to me, right. They weren't robots. Now I didn't always like their response and what they said to me, but I appreciated that they came over and said, Hey jerk, this is what you're doing wrong. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so fast forward, I, you know, um, success leaves clues. And once I finished my first year at the university of Dayton, I realized, you know what, that that's something I want to do. Um, but I want to do it more than just the middle school level. How do I get to small college? How do I get to division one? How do I get to, um, possibly the NBA. Never really thought about international. That was something that just kind of popped up. Um, so that was really the journey that that led me there. Um, and then, as I said, successfully excluded. So I, I had a family friend that officiated high school, got in uh, with him, got going in high school. Somebody saw me at a high school game. Hey, you ever thought about small college? And then just started asking questions. I think that's the biggest thing that people miss out on is short of maybe, you know, curing cancer or something really um, – phenomenal out there. There's probably a chance, whatever you're looking at doing, whether it's starting a podcast, starting a business, uh, someone's probably done it in some form or fashion. So just go start asking questions. Not everyone's going to give you the time, but you'd be surprised how many people um, will, will give you time and, and kind of set you down down the path. Now, you still have to do all the hard work, but at least start asking questions and figure out, hey, Chris is where I want to be. How do I get there? So asking questions, just being curious. Um, and that, that really led me to uh, the, the 10 plus year career I had at the at the highest level. It's amazing. And that, you know, the, the ask, right. You know, that reminds yeah. me of, uh, you know, something Steve jobs, you know, said in the nineties, you know, he was on a, you know, he made a small recording, you know, uh, I think it was like a local news station now in California. It's not very well known. Um, it's all up on YouTube, but one of the things he says, and it's only a couple minutes long is that a lot of people don't get to where they want to be because they don't ask. They don't ask for help. They don't reach out. Because, you know, what he says is he, he finds that most people are willing to help as long as you ask. And so he even gives a, like a, a quick anecdote saying, you know, during that time, he called up the head of Hewlett Packard, right? And because he was still in the phone book at the time. And he said, hi, you know, my name is Stephen Jobs. I'm like, he was like, I'm 10 years old. 
And he got, gave him a job down at the factory, like putting together some stuff. And he just asked. And that, you know, that's just a, a great, you know, nugget of wisdom right there. Yeah. It's like anything else, right? It's like the, you know, if, you know, in dating, if you're in a bar and you ask like 10 girls out, there's surely one or two are going to say yes at some point. But if you never ask the question, you're going to be in the same position you were uh, before you asked. And so, and I think, and I'm sure we'll probably touch on this at some point. The, the biggest thing for me, Chris, both in officiating and in, in business too, the, and I always leave this with groups when I'm speaking, so I might mm-hmm. be getting ahead of myself here, but when you understand that people don't care about you and not in the sense of like, oh, I don't care about Chris, but like outside of your really close family and like super small group of friends, everyone else has so much crap going on in their own world mm-hmm. that they're not really worried about what Chris says or how he comes across, they're going to actually, to your point, if you're willing to ask the question, they're probably going to be willing to give you an answer. But I think so often, that's always what I try to leave with people, referees, executives, sales teams, whoever, is like, once you let go of this thought that like people are so worried about you, they have so much other stuff going on in the world that they don't care about you. And once you like kind of get rid of that mask or that roadblock, if you will, it Mm -hmm. really opens the world. And then it's like, well, gosh, the worst thing that Chris is going to say is no, I'll just find someone else. So yeah, I always try to try to tell people like, don't worry about what other people think, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, a big, a big thing for me um, that made a big difference too, was a book I read several years ago, The Courage to be Disliked. And I can mm-hmm. single-handedly pinpoint this was the one thing in my officiating career um, that completely changed the trajectory. When I transitioned and moved Chris from being liked to being respected, it completely mm-hmm. changed the game for me, right? Because I used to walk on the court and think, well, you know, let's say you're the, the head coach. Well, I really hope Chris likes me tonight. You know, I really want to get on his goods. You have so many other things going on in your world. I think a lot of salespeople struggle with that too. They want the prospect to like them. They want everyone to like mm-hmm. them. We're not in the business of being liked. I mean, that's human nature, but it's I'd, I'd rather have someone respect me than like me. Because at the end of the day, as paranoid as coaches are, the only thing they want to know is like, am I going to get a fair shake tonight? Like, is, mm-hmm. is Tommy going to just call the rules as written? Is he going to communicate with me? Is he going to, you know, call plays on both ends? But I want that coach to, to respect me, not like me. And when I moved from being liked to being respected, it completely changed. Because again, when you understand that people don't care about you, it helps change that perspective as you approach your craft. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. It's a lot. Um, and so from, from the point of being, you know, not worrying about being liked, you take a simple anecdote, just right to your point. When you, you get a little mustard stain on your shirt and you're walking around, you know, for the rest of the day and you're like, Oh my God, everyone in the world's noticing this little mustard stain. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> Nobody. We're, you know, we're all the kind of centers of our own universe, and we think it all kind of revolves around us, even if we do have the self-awareness that it doesn't. That emotion, that temporary feeling still exists. Yeah. And the ability to separate yourself from that is quite freeing. You know? And so you know, that brings me you know, to another question is, how does someone get there? Right? What are those steps that someone can take, in your opinion? To go from being... Um, like to respected. Exactly. Yeah. So um, a couple things, I think when you understand the biggest thing for me, and I'll I'll start in officiating and and maybe translate it back Mm -hmm. to, to business. So in officiating, when you understand that what a coach has to do on a 
on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. I'll never forget, I was talking to, to Brad Stevens when he was still at Butler um, here in Indy because I just wanted to understand like what a coach is going through because out of my own pure frustration of them blowing up either on my missed calls or my partner. So I just wanted to get inside of a coach's head. And so he explains everything and, and that's kind of a story for another day. But that's a lot of problems I think I see with salespeople too is they don't really understand the prospect or the person that they're calling on potential client is going through. So when I think that's the foundation, once you understand like what they're going through and what they do on a daily basis, and you listen to podcasts that they listen to and you understand what they're reading and you understand what they do, you're able to make this transition because I understand, right? From, from Brad's perspective, he's recruiting 14 to 18 year olds, God help him. He's got a babysit 18 to 22 year olds no thanks. He's got mm -hmm. all his assistant coaches that he has to line up what they're doing. He's got alumni, boosters, his AD, his president, media obligations, whoever the uh, shoe, fat, shoe brand is, right? So he has all these things going on in his head. And then when you understand that when he blows up or any other coach blows up during a game, it's really the catalyst for all this other crap going on in their life. And I always like to say, separate the who from the do. So the who is me, the person. The do is the officiating what I'm doing. 99.99% of the times that a coach is yelling at me, it's the striped shirt. It was never Tommy mm. short as an individual. No different in sales, right? Like you get hung up on, a client says no, a prospect says no. That's because they got four or five shitty calls earlier that week. So again, understanding their foundation, what they do, what their world is, right? Then you understand that you're able to separate the who from the do. It's it's the referee that's doing it. It's not Tommy, the person. Then you adopt this mindset that people don't care about you. To me, that was the kind of the three-part transition for me mm -hmm. of building all those up to understand people have, so, like you said, you have mustard on your shirt. I might notice it, but in seven seconds, I'm worried about you know my kids and what I'm doing later this afternoon. I don't have time to worry about the mustard. Hope you get it to the yep. dry cleaners, but that's beyond my, exactly. <laughs> that's beyond my <laughs> cup of tea today. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, let's keep on, I'll keep on the topic of, you know, your, your time as a referee. Yeah. So what are some of the others, the other lessons you've learned, you know, during that time? Absolutely. So I always joke with people that it was uh, officiating at that level was really uh, getting a PhD in human development. Right. And, mm -hmm. the, you know, the things I, I leave with um, groups that I speak with or individuals that I coach you know, awareness, and I can expand on these awareness, confidence can be, um, can be learned, right? It's not just, hey, you either are born with it or not. Um, Self-talk and really having a process uh, in place to whatever you're going to do, right? Because regardless of what your goal is in agnostic of industry or what you do for a living, that goal is great, but put it in a drawer and hone in on your process. And the, the other three areas I'll, I'll, I'll talk about, Chris, um, and, and then communication, how to have tough conversations. Mm -hmm. that, that was kind of five. So one, awareness. You can't change anything you're not aware of. And I had to be really good at, as an official to be objective. I, we had a saying, beat the tape, right? So it didn't matter if me, you, and Nick are working a game together and we come in the locker room after and I tell you guys, I killed that game. Mm -hmm. When I go back and watch that tape in the hotel, that tape's not lying. Right. So I don't even need to look in the mirror because that tape's going to tell me what I got right, what I got wrong, what I should have called, mm -hmm. what I didn't call. So the awareness, if 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 you're not aware of something, you can't change it. Uh, the communication part. 
right? I, I, I talk to people all the time. There's two, to me, there's two different ways to listen. You're listening to respond or you're listening to understand. Now, if mm -hmm. I'm listening to respond, I'm waiting for Chris's lips to stop moving. I don't care what you said. I've got something loaded and I'm going to unleash on you. That's the first way. That's how I responded probably the first eight years of my officiating career. Mm -hmm. What I transitioned to was listening to understand. Big difference. Now I'm, I'm not coming in with an agenda. There might be questions that I have or something I want to say to a coach, but I'm not coming in like guns loaded. So when mm -hmm. you stop speaking, I'm going to process that. And I have an acronym that I use and it's, it's WAIT, W-A-I-T. And I say to myself, when that person's done talking, why am I talking? And that just gives me that three or four second pause. I get to process what you say. I'm not going to come and just shoot back with some answer. And I'm actually now listening to understand a more empathetic approach. I'm not just here guns blazing. Um, I mentioned process. I always tell people <laughs> I've never met a college basketball referee that doesn't want to work the final four, but I've met plenty of referees who don't have final four habits. And what I mean by that, if you're in sales or you're an official, I don't care what your goals are. I don't care what your quota is that you have to hit. Let me spend one day with you. Like I was a 60 minutes like film crew. And let me just follow you around and see what your habits are. That's going to tell me everything I need to know because how you treat any single day is how you should treat every day. So it doesn't matter if it's a Monday, a Tuesday, a Friday, the day before vacation, the day after. I'm going to tell, I'm going to learn a lot by your habits and your approach um, to every single day. And then the last thing that I'll say um, for your performance is, and this is the biggest thing I see with sales teams, athletes do it more and more. Salespeople and professionals struggle with this is priming before your performance. I don't care if your performance is a one-on-one -on -one with um, uh, your boss. I don't care if it's a one-on-one -on -one with someone on your leadership team. What are you doing before that to get your thoughts and emotions in the right place? Because so many people, if they're in sales, they're just picking up the phone or they're just sending emails or they're just walking into that conversation and there's no preparation. Like, can you imagine if Tom Brady or Beyonce just like walked on the field and started doing uh, just like walked into the game or, or Beyonce just yeah. walked on stage. Like it's asinine, but in the business world and most people in general, they don't have anything to prime their performance. And so that, those were really kind of the five things I probably butchered those five, uh, but those were the big five things for me that 100% correlate from officiating now into, um, into the business world. Absolutely. I mean, you know, kind of sum it up, you know, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall back to your training. Amen. And, you know, it's, it's, it's having that decisiveness and, you know, one of the other phrases, you know, you know, uh, we love to say here at check is, uh, you know, don't practice till you get it right. Practice till you can't get it wrong. Amen. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's those things and building those habits exactly like you're saying that do separate the people that are able to take that next leap in their journey and those that aren't or become complacent in what they're doing. And, and the one thing I would add to the, to the mm -hmm. rising, um, and I love that quote as well, I think like in the, you know, my new company, Think Better, Perform Better, I often tell people like, when you think better, you perform better. But here's the kind of play on words. When it comes time to your performance, you don't have time to think, right? Mm -hmm. And to your point about you don't rise to the um, occasion, you fall to your level of training. If you haven't put in the time, if you haven't put in the reps, and not to you, if you're, you know, preparing a speech, you get it, you know, you memorize it once. It's until you can give it 
you know, a hundred times and a sixth grader understands what you're saying and you haven't missed a beat, then that's when you've reached that level, right? So I think it's, if you haven't put in the time, don't expect when crunch time comes or you're in a tough conversation mm -hmm. that you're magically just going to rise yep. to the occasion. You've got to have that, those reps and put in that work so that when that performance does come, regardless, business, sports, doesn't matter, one-on-one -on -one meeting, you're prepared for that moment because you've thought better up until that point. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And so before we, before we jump into, cause I do want to talk about what you're doing with think better, perform better. Yep. Um, last question on, you know, your experience, you know, as a ref is, you know, you did the, you know, with college and then FIBO, yep. right? So what would you say is the biggest difference between, you know, officiating collegiate players and professional players? Um, man, this could be a whole nother podcast. Well, I would say, <laughs> first of all, so, um, specifically with FIBA, right? They are so much more, I mean, it's not even close, fundamentally sound in the basics in Europe, mm -hmm. then, and, and we created the game, we invented basketball, but they in Europe are like, they just have the fundamentals down, right? Like mm -hmm. in the team aspect, you go to any AU tournament today in the United States, and, and it's probably how it's set up, but you, you've got kids playing three or four games, right? If it's an open recruiting period, you've got all the coaches there. So of course they're going to play in an individual approach and how many points can I get? But that's not what coaches are looking for, but that's, that's the system we've set up. So I would, mm -hmm. you know, that's the first thing that came to mind in working with international players and professional is just, they don't get bored with the basics, right? Like I've got a saying, do boring better. The mm -hmm. stuff that others see as boring like that's the shit you've got to master and there's a yep. reason why you get really good at those things so that you can do the others but so often those the fundamentals the basics are overlooked um and then you know really from college to pro i would i would say their mindset um in general you know at the, at the collegiate level from a preparing standpoint they don't they don't look at practice like some professionals do and what i mean by that is practice is is a necessary evil on their schedule on their calendar mm -hmm. but you know from working with the our, our link olympic team um, two different times you start to understand that they practice a lot harder than they play like you get to games and the games are just like they should be easy because you've put mm -hmm. in the work in practice but so often college players and even high school they look at practice like oh my gosh i you know it's almost like it's mundane to them. It's like, oh, I have to do this, right? Like, you don't have to do anything. You know, that's that's one of the biggest things I say, you know, when I'm talking to teams is like, do you have to do stuff or do you get to do stuff? And it's switching from this I have to mentality to I get to mentality, whether you're in sports or, or business. Because if your mindset in business, right, is I have to make calls, I have to send emails, I have to insert anything, right? It becomes a chore. It becomes arduous. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's like, oh, I have to do this, right? When you switch to, I get to, right? I get to put in time. I get to practice and be deliberate. I get to insert anything, right? Like if you've got kids, like I have to pick up my, no, I get to spend 30 minutes uninterrupted with them, right? Like, so it's switching this mentality of, I have to, to I get to. And how do you approach your craft? That can mean all the difference in the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the underlying, you know, term would be a gratitude for what you're doing. You know, like I get to now spend time with my kids. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah. you're thankful for being able to do what you, you know, 
can to you know that you have. Um, 100%. Yeah, and so you know what that you know one of the things that you said reminds me of you know my time you know uh, you know when I trained in MMA uh, fourteen years is that, and you see it in the UFC. Right. These guys, they're not showing up on on fight night, the big UFC events being like, well, you know, I hope I can go five rounds like maybe I'll last. Now, they've they're training well, well, well over being able to last five rounds so that it is as easy as it is, as it can be for them when they step in. Um, You know, so it's it's practice is something to never be overlooked in any, you know, whether it's, you know, athletes business it you know it is pivotal to make sure that you're practicing and honing your craft constantly chris along that point there's there's two questions that i always you know i was i was working with a sports psychologist a couple of years ago and i i now ask this to anyone uh, both in sports or in in business right and the first is uh, of what you do you know how much would you consider that mental of what you do and i and i define it by Awareness, self-talk, confidence, composure, focus, right? Those are kind of the five that I fall back on. So when I ask people, like, how much would you, from zero to 100% of what you do, falls into the mental category? And I'll hear anything from 60%, usually to 90%, sometimes 100%, okay? And then, you know, I'll go on with my presentation or talk. And then towards the end, I'll kind of bring it all home. And I'm like, hey, at the beginning, when we started this, you told me that, of what you do, 60, 70, 80, 90% of what you do is mental. I'm curious, of all the training and preparation you do for your craft, how much time do you spend on your mindset or the mental development, confidence, composure, awareness? Like, it's like crickets, right? Like Mm -hmm. most people, 5%, 10%. And I'm like, wait, hey, I'm not here to tell you to do anything different. But at the outset, you told me 90% of what you do is mental. And now you're telling me, of all the training and prep you do, it's maybe 10. Like, do you think there's maybe a gap? I'm not here to tell you one yeah. way or the other, but do you think there's a gap? And then you always get the, the smart ass who's like, uh, 80%. Because I'm like, that's freaking awesome. Like, I, I got to mm-hmm. know what you're doing 80% of the yeah. time. And then you start peeling back the onion and, and it's like, ah, oh, okay, maybe it's more like yeah. 8%, not 80. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, there was eye opening to me. And I think, again, it goes back to the awareness. You don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you, when you start to objectively ask yourself these questions, it's like, okay, I want to figure out, do I see an area of improvement or is this just something I'm going to gloss over? Absolutely. And I mean, you know, before I jump back to one of the other things we were, we were just talking about is the, the mental aspect, mm-hmm. you know, the mind controls everything, but the mind tells you the body will do. Mm-hmm. And so, I think we're finally getting to that point, you know, whether it is in, you know, athletics is, is ahead of the, the curve, but in business, we're now taking that focus, not just on the C level that can afford to have all these coaches and stuff like that, because they know the importance of keeping their mind right. But it's everyone else taking the time to go through all these exercises and, and using and bu- building up their tool belt mm-hmm. to know how to really increase that performance. But just to circle back real quick is, you know, speaking of the gratitude, something I know that you're doing. Yeah. Uh, say a little bird told me um, <laughs> is that, you know, you're taking the gratitude to the next level and personally mailing thank you letters yeah. to three people every day. So what was yeah. the inspiration behind doing that? Um, I didn't come up with it myself. I heard it. I don't know if it was a podcast, 
someone asked me this the other day and I couldn't pinpoint. I don't know if it was a podcast. I don't even know if they were doing three. They might have been like three text. Maybe they were mm -hmm. doing like three texts before 10 or so. they had some like kind of saying. And I was like, that's great, right? But to me, like how I was raised, like there's a lot to be said about just a handwritten thank you. And it doesn't need to be like, hey, you bought me a car. That's so appreciative. It's just, um, hey, you did this for me or hey, I was just, you know, I appreciate you making a connection or, hey, I just really appreciate our friendship and I've never really said, you know, thank you. Um, so for me, it forces me, right, to rewire my brain every morning. And, and the truth is, like, if I can't think of three people every day, like, shame on me, right? Like, mm. I can think of three people and it's not the same three people every day, but it's like, I, if I can't think of three, like I need to go and be in more of service to others. And like, how can I mm -hmm. help people so that, you know, I can return the favor. So it's something um, that I started. And I wouldn't say it's a habit yet um, just because of the number of days I've been doing it. Um, but it, it really is, is making me rewire my brain and just starting every day with meditation and gratitude and then taking gratitude to the next level of not just being thankful for things that we already have. Cause I think that's like gratitude one-on-one, which I think is great. Like if, mm -hmm. if it's better than not doing anything, but to me, it's like, okay, then it's being grateful for things that I, that I don't have yet. Right. And then it's, how can I be um, grateful for the people in my life? Because, you know, I'm very spoiled in the people that are in my life. And that's just one small way that I can um, say thank you is just, hey, here's a handwritten note. And I don't need a reason to do it. It's just, hey, I appreciate just you being a friend or the conversation we had or, you know, I, I think last week or the week before I wrote a thank you note to my sixth grade basketball coach who got me into officiating. I mean, that was 25 years ago and I'm just now thanking him. And I think really, if I, if I, as I think about it now, Chris, mm. uh, uh, somebody that, that meant a lot to me passed away in November. He, I, I never played for him. He was a coach at my high school, but, um, he was, he and I became very close after, um, I left. And I mean, he would text me on like a random Thursday night after I had like an Ohio Valley game on ESPNU that nobody in America should have known was on TV. And he's just like watching games and he'd send me a text and we talk about basketball and he was a baseball coach for 25 years at, at my high school. And I think that was part of it too. Cause I never really thanked him. So it was like a part of me is kind of pissed off that I wasn't mm. more intentional about my gratitude. And so now it's like, shame on me if I can't thank the people people who have done something either tremendous or just opened a door for me. Absolutely. I mean, and I would encourage all our listeners to give that a try, you know, just express that gratitude, whether it is a text or it is a handwritten letter. I mean, it's, I think all our listeners would be pleasantly surprised, you know, to find exactly what you found and all those, you know, and all those aspects. And, you know, just a, a quick anecdote on, you know, on my side is, so I think it was, I was probably 12, uh, mm -hmm. sixth, seventh grade. And so my fourth grade student teacher, uh, Mr. Santana was his okay. name. Um, and so, you know, he was just like a really like awesome guy. You know, it was, you know, we were all kids. We were in fourth grade, but it was like talking to us at a really relatable level. Mm -hmm. And just kind of the, the subtle wisdom we were able to, to, you know, get off of him. You know, really left an impact. And even years later, so I had a project in school. It was basically write a letter thanking somebody who made an impact. And so I wrote it to him. 
And so I didn't know where, I didn't have his mailing address. So I just gave it to my teacher. And so they went back to elementary school and see. And so anyway, he wrote a, like a very lengthy letter back, which I still have to this day. And so it ended up that it just went through different people. And he was at a party. And, you know, a woman who was in some way connected to the school was, got it handed off to her and she gave it to him. And so, you know, he told me the whole story about like how it eventually got to him. And it was just, you know, him, like me showing the gratitude and him being so thankful that he made such an impact in somebody's life that was just 100% true and valid. And so it's just, you never know mm-hmm. what, you know, starting that chain of gratitude can do. That's, that's, yeah, so, that's awesome. Even now, all these years uh, later, it's, you still, it's still something that you remember. Oh yeah. I yeah. still have it. I still yeah. got the letter. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so let's, you know, let's, uh, you know, jump into, you know, what you're up to now. Think better, perform better. So, you know, tell the listeners kind of, you know, what, you know, made you take the leap into starting that and tell uh-huh. them about, you know, about it and what, and what you're doing, what you're focusing on. Uh, I wish I had this like grandmaster plan that was laid out 90 days ago with this tremendous business plan. Uh, I actually left my previous um, spot not knowing um, kind of where I was going or what I was going to do. Um, but I always kind of had this kind of knack or this thing kind of in the back of my mind of like, I should get into this. And for whatever reason, right? Like it's just stories we tell ourselves or whatever. It just never happened. Um, talked to a couple other companies and then just kind of came to the realization, Chris, is like, I don't think I was meant to be an employee. And I don't mean that like Mm -hmm. in an arrogant way. It's just kind of like my personality. I'm an only child. Uh, My wife can hammer home that point uh, more times than (laughs) I'd like to admit. Um, But it just came to the point of like, you know, there was a book I read recently, The Second Mountain uh, by David Brooks. And it just talks about like the first mountain in life is all the external accolades and, you know, the trophies and everything that, you know, people would see and say like, oh, he's successful. So, you know, for me, it was like, oh, he, you know, rose in division one and, you know, was working all these games and had success and that's fine. And that's great. And if people want to pursue that, that's great. But the author of the book talks about the second mountain where you switch to fulfillment. Right. And so I, you know, I tell the story of like how I got into officiating and it was, you know, I was making 17 bucks a game and I'd I'd leave a gym on a Saturday and make $170. Well, at 19, that's a lot of beer money back in, you know, mm-hmm. 2002. Um, but anyway, it just, it got to the point, you know, over the last 30, 60 days, Chris, where I was like, uh, why not me? Right. Like a, a mm-hmm. lot of times we, we always ask these like, what if questions, like, what if this doesn't work out? What if someone doesn't want to do it? What if, what if, what if? And, and then I finally was like, well, why not me? I've got unique experience from the officiating world. Everything that I now coach and speak about is 100% focused on mental performance, but it's also everything that I've tried and developed on the court. And as you noted earlier, there's a lot of similarities between the basketball court and business or leading a team or leading a sales team or just leading your leadership team, or if you're a solo entrepreneur, right? Um, and so it just got to the point where I was like, why not me and why not now? Because there's never gonna be a perfect time. I realize that more than anyone else. And so, um, I mean, I know that I'll look back on these last kind of 30, 60 days and a year, two years from now and be so grateful and thankful that I did it. Now, if you ask my wife uh, with two kids at home, just leaving with uh, and being the only sole income earner, 
I mean, she still thinks I'm a little bit nuts, but that's okay. I don't, you know, I once heard from PJ Fleck, who's the coach at Minnesota. He said he doesn't take a job unless it scares him. And I really Mm -hmm. started to like, think about that. And I'm like, yeah, this, I mean, if I'm being honest, like there was a little bit of this that was like, okay, I've never done this before, but I've got the experience. I've got the training from what I've done. I've always had a coach personally. I know the value that a coach can bring. Um, and so then I'll never forget, I was in a, a Starbucks one day and I just kept thinking about like books I'd read and podcasts and the thought had like entered my head and it was like getting stronger and stronger. And I was like, I always knew like the performances and officiating, like the better ones that I had, I was thinking better as I went into the game, I was thinking better during, but, but during the play, I wasn't thinking at all. And I was like, man, mm-hmm. I was like, think better, perform better. I was like, I that's, a, I bet that's a really cool brand. Like, let me check this website out. And Chris, I must've entered that website in like 15 times. And I'm like, there's no chance this isn't out there somewhere. And yeah. I like immediately went to GoDaddy. Uh, and to this day, probably in my life, I'll look back. It's the best, like $34 I spent yeah. <laughs> um, on, on the website. And so then it was just, and, and it was cool because it, now it's not only my mission, it's the company name. It's the brand. Like when you think better, you perform better. That's now my mission in life is to help people think better so they can perform better regardless of what their performance is. Um, and so, yeah, now I'll, I'll spend uh, all my time uh, speaking and coaching in a one-on-one sense, uh, mm-hmm. speaking to sales teams. Um, and I, I th- part of it too, I think people had reached out before I had fully gone in on my own and asked to like speak to their team. And I don't know if I needed like confirmation, but maybe that was like God's mm-hmm. way of like kind of pushing me out there to say like, look, here's, you know, here's five opportunities. Are you going to just let them pass? And then finally it was like, all right, I'm all in, uh, no, no toes in the water. I love it. You know, it's, it, it all goes back to a lot, you know, values, purpose, mission. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you've lined all of them. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Cause they all kind of, for me, kind of line up together. Um, you know, mm-hmm. another thing that I think helped, along the way um, was coming up with a personal philosophy. Um, So two Mm -hmm. things, a personal philosophy and then my own standard. Um, I I carry this with me every time, uh, you know, obviously for folks listening, they won't be able to see that, but if if this ever gets, you know, visual play. So when when I tried out for the NBA, like as a 19 year old, that was my goal. I realized like officiating, I wanna get to the NBA. Uh, So when I tried out, and again, if you're listening to this, you won't see it, but I'm holding up a jersey and it's 86. So when you get invited, uh, now this was like 10 years ago, so I don't know if they still do it, but they send you a jersey and this package and it's like, hey, here's, you're going to wear this all weekend. Um, here's, you know, the tryout format, et cetera, et cetera. Fast forward, obviously I'm here talking to you guys. I'm not a current NBA referee, so that dream never materialized, but that's okay. Um, so as I was objectively, especially over the last couple of years, when I look back at that, there was two things that were in my control that I did not control going into that performance, self-limiting beliefs and my preparation. And a couple of years ago, I finally decided those were two things that I would never let affect my performance going forward, regardless of what it was, because I can control how I talk to myself and I can control how prepared I am. I, I know a previous guest of yours, Jed, has um, ape attitude, preparation, mm-hmm. effort. I just, I say ace, attitude, confidence, and effort, because um, I think those are the three things I can control every single time I come into um, any performance. So for me, I always ask people, what's your 86? 86 to me is mm-hmm. my standard. That's a baseline. I don't adjust that to anyone. I don't lower my standard. It makes some people uncomfortable and I'm okay with that. 
as mm -hmm. a coach, my job is to make you a little bit uncomfortable because when you get uncomfortable, that's when you grow. You're not going to grow inside of your comfort zone. So that's oh, yeah. the first thing, having a standard. And then the second thing was coming up with a, a, a personal philosophy. I, ha I had this a couple of years ago and now I, I wear it on my wrist. Again, I'm holding up something that your audio listeners will not hear, but if you're watching it, you'll be able to see. But if you think back to uh, your first day uh, at check, Chris, right? Or you think back to a first date, right? Like we show up different, right? Like mm -hmm. we, we carry ourselves different. We don't have any expectations of others. And frankly, no one has expectations of us because we're the new guy or gal at, at the company or on the scene. So no one really cares, right? But you show up different. You go out of your way to see if anyone needs anything. You just, you carry yourself different. So as I was coming up with my personal philosophy, kind of going into your purpose, value, mission statement, I said, what would happen if you treated each day like the first day? Like if you really showed up intentionally every single day, like it was the first day, whether it's a first date, a first day at your job, whatever it is. And then for me, the each is capitalized and they're the four values that I personally adhere to every day. And I know if I'm hitting on those four, that it's going to set me up for success because I can't control what happens. I can only control how I respond. So the four mm -hmm. values to me are empathy, authenticity, childlike, and humility. So I know that if I'm tapping into those four core, I call them my core four values, that I'm going to set myself up for success. Because again, that's back into my process. So I've got my standard that I'm not lowering. I have my kind of my North star, my personal philosophy, and then tying all that in with the company of my bigger purpose and mission is to help you think better so you can perform better, regardless of what your performance is. Amazing. I'm fired up so, now. Yeah. And so can you, can you go into, you know, you know, the you know, empathy, authenticity, but what is childlike? So can you, yeah. can you dive into like, what do you mean by that? Like a curiosity, a thirst for knowledge. I love that. So my wife said the same thing uh, when I first told her about this. Um, she's just very analytical by nature. And she's like, people won't know what childlike means. And I'm like, well, it's not their personal philosophy. So frankly, I don't give a shit. Exactly. <laughs> um, but to me, childlike, right? Amen um, to that. <laughs> there, there, there's studies out there like the average child. Well, I'll ask you guys. I'll ask you, Chris. The average mm. child, how many times do you think they smile a day? If you had to guess. Way more than me. Yeah. <laughs> But just, just uh, ballpark. Uh, 30. 400. You know how many times wow. the average adult smiles a day? 10. 15. So I just think wow. about, I, I've got a two-year-old and a, and a four-month-old. And, and so childlike to me is like, number one, smile. Life's too mm -hmm. damn short, right? Like have a little fun. But think about a child, right? Do you know in the history of humankind, no child has ever fallen down trying to walk and just said, fuck it, I'm done. I'm not going to try walking. But then yeah. we get to become adults and we give up and we stop mm -hmm. trying and we lose that natural curiosity. I can't tell you how many times just this morning my two-year-old walked around and just was asking, what's this? What are you doing? What's this? Right? But we lose that natural curiosity. So for me, mm -hmm. childlike is the energy that I bring, the natural curiosity, because I think so often in a conversation, um, and I know this is a different setting because you're asking me the questions, but like so often we want to be interesting to people, but mm -hmm. I always, I always write this at the top of the paper. Every time I, I have a conversation with someone, four words, be interested, not interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's a reminder to me of like, 
again, people don't care about you. So let me, what do we like as humans to talk about ourselves, right? That's why we come mm -hmm. on podcasts as guests because we like to talk about ourselves. So I always want to remind myself, like be interested in someone, have that natural curiosity of yeah, a, a good friend of mine once said, like approach a conversation, like you're going to invest in them or their business. Like with your own money, mm -hmm. I bet you'd ask some different questions, right? Like you'd, you'd have some natural curiosity because you'd have a stake in the game. But so often we want to tell people about us and, hey, or, hey, how great are we doing? You tell me you mm -hmm. went to Italy. I tell you, that's great. I went to Prague for two weeks. We're trying to one-up each other. But yep. kids, kids don't care. First of all, they don't know. So that's kind mm -hmm. of what childlike means. I can't wait to play this part of the, the episode for my wife because she's going to be like, see, <laughs> Chris doesn't even know what that means. So I'm okay with that. No, I love that though. I mean, it's, that's so spot on. I mean, we, we lose so much that, you know, we had when we were kids and it's so important to really regain the best parts of that. And I think, you know, one of the questions I always ask people, you know, when I first meet them and you know, you've already answered it uh, and then some is what is their why, mm -hmm. you know, why do they do what they do? What gets them up in the morning? You know, they, yeah. that they're fired up and they're excited you know, it may not be their job. It may be completely something else, but everyone has a why. You know, they might, it might take them a little bit of time to look for it and, and kind of, you know, dig and uncover it, but everyone has one. Yeah, and I think until you really sit down and think about that, and I mm -hmm. had a coach lead me through that exercise once, and it's like whatever you first say, I don't know if you have ever done an exercise like this, Chris, but like if, if you normally ask someone their why and they haven't thought about it, like whatever they first say is probably not their real why because there's no emotion behind it. Not always, mm -hmm. but most of the time. So it's like, well, I want to make a lot of money. Well, why do you want to make a lot of money? Because exactly. I didn't have something growing up. Well, why didn't you have that? Or why is that important? And so you start to get layers deep and then you get to a really emotional reason for their why, right? Like, mm -hmm. and then that's where the why is untapped. And I think that's one of the big reasons that people quit or give up is because they don't have a strong enough why. Right. Like, they, yep. like if, if you don't have that emotion, because here's the reality, I, I tell my clients this all the time, you're not going to always feel like it. And so what mm -hmm. are you going to do when you don't feel like doing something? Because that is not going to ever leave any of us. You're mm -hmm. going to feel like that some days. I'm going to feel like that some days. But we can act our way into the feeling, whatever it is. But we can also because action cures all fears. But yep. you have to have that self-awareness that when you wake up and you don't feel like doing something, what are you tapping into? And if we don't have a deep enough why, it's going to be easy to say, well, today's Monday, I'll do it tomorrow. And I think that's one of the most dangerous words in our vocabulary is tomorrow. A hundred percent. Yep. I read Luke Combs song, uh, you know, oh, really? Dear Today. Yeah. So okay. there's a whole song called Dear Today. Right, um, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, big Luke Combs fan on the other side of the camera here. But are you are you a are you a fan? Um, and I probably don't have it on me. It's probably in the car. Uh, are you a fan of Ryan Holiday and Stoicism? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so another Mar Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. 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 So another thing I have, I don't think I have it on me right now, but uh, and this is another thing my wife's like that's kind of morbid. So Ryan Holiday has a coin, uh, Memento Mori. And it mm -hmm. translates to you could leave life right now. And that mm -hmm. has really helped me to frame my day and know that I'm going to tap into my personal philosophy. I am so I am so moved into action by my why and my purpose 
that tomorrow's not guaranteed. I'm not, I don't care about the rest. I'm going to own today and win today because at the end of the day, your biggest competition is not a competitor. Your mm -hmm. biggest competition is who you were yesterday. And if you don't show yep. up better than who you were yesterday, you're no different than your competition. And so that's a, that's a reminder to me uh, if I get unfocused during the day or I start going down a rabbit hole of like, hey, you could leave life right now. And are you okay with the legacy you have right now? And if the answer is no, get to work. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's you know, strive not to be a success, but rather to be of value to other people. Um, and so... You know, two, two things right on that topic. So, you know, uh, Chip Gaines, right? You know, the kind of HGTV, Chip and oh, Joanna. Yeah. So, you know, he wrote a book called Capital Gains. I read, you know, when it came out, uh, I think a couple of years back. And so, you know, one of the, the kind of parts that stuck with me was, you know, right on, you know, this, this thread is that he tries every day to exhaust himself by the end of the day. He doesn't go, make sure he doesn't go to bed with any energy. Essentially, he's leaving it out. He's leaving it all out on the field every single day day and so that even if tomorrow is net well tomorrow never comes mm -hmm. you know he's rest assured that hey I, I each and every day i give it my all and then you know the other thing is uh mark manson so you know he's big right you now writer has all you know books the art of not giving a fuck um you know subtle art of not giving a fuck you know all that kind of um you know uh you know stuff but uh, so he has one principle called uh the do something principle and so, you know, what that is, is say you're, you know, you don't feel like going to the gym, right? The gym is the big end goal is to get your butt in the gym. Mm -hmm. Do something, put your gym shoes on, get dressed. And just by that, that action of doing something, you're going to create that virtuous cycle and continue just now to get your butt into the gym. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I haven't read that book, but one of, maybe it was like the power of habit by Charles Duick. And he says kind of the same thing is like, just put your clothes out, right? Like putting your shoes mm -hmm. on is, is sometimes the hardest thing because those workouts, when you get to the gym are some are sometimes the best ones because you didn't feel like doing it, but then you get there and you're like, all right, that was the hardest part. Now I'm here. I'm, I'm exactly. not going to not finish. Um, so yeah, sometimes the hardest part is, is starting. And I always say small action is, is better than no action, regardless of which direction it is. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Um, and so, uh, what I was going to say is with, um, just lost my train of thought, honestly, but, uh, <laughs> um, it happens. I know. Right. So one of the questions, you know, that we, that we ask, you know, all our guests is what is one thing that you've done in your life that you would recommend our listeners do and experience in theirs and why? What is one thing that I would recommend? I would say do something uncomfortable, however uncomfortable it is, uh, once a day, once a week, just get, get out of your comfort zone and whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, for me every day, it's taking a cold shower. I'm still like, it's still not comfortable to me, but you're setting yourself up for when you get on uncomfortable situations later, if you already have a baseline of being uncomfortable, the next thing doesn't seem as uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, that might be, uh, just kind of off the top of my head, get uncomfortable in some form or fashion. Uh, mm -hmm. whatever, however small that might be, um, do something you've never done. Um, because what got you here won't get you there. hundred percent. I love that. And so, you know, as, as we wrap up here, you know, is there, you know, any, 
last thoughts or comments that you, you want to add, uh, you know, to the listeners and then, you know, we'll give you the, the chance to kind of, you know, uh, tell listeners where they can find you. Yeah. So the three things I, I leave with your group is, um, number one, nobody cares about you. I, and I think we, we touched on that, uh, pretty good in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, I also touched on your biggest competition isn't someone else. It's who you were yesterday. Mm-hmm. And then number three, never sacrifice what you really want for what you want right now. So if you're ever in a, a situation where you're trying to choose, should I do this or not? Think about what you really want. And if it doesn't align with that, don't do it. Easier said than done. But after time, again, if you get in to a deep enough why and you have a connection of what you really want versus what you want right now, you'll never sacrifice what you really want. Love it. So I would say nothing I can even add to that. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. And so, you know, for the, for listeners where, uh, you know, what is the best, you know, places to reach, reach, uh, find you, reach out to you on. Yeah. So the website is thinkbetterperformbetter.com. Thinkbetterperformbetter.com. And then on LinkedIn, uh, my handle is mindset is everything or just Tommy short. You can, uh, you can find me either way there. Amazing. So I think this has been an, an amazing episode. I mean, so much nuggets of wisdom, you know, so many topics covered. So Tommy, thank you for your time. You know, really do appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yep. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. Please tune in again next week to another episode of Sports Economy.